Chapter 45, City of Prophets We stayed in Mersin an extra day, as I tried to make sense of all that happened the day before. I felt weak and uncertain, my next steps unclear. Alberto was out most of the morning, and when he returned, he was in a clearly upbeat mood. A friend of mine just sent me an email about a place called Shanli Urfa, he enthused. I researched it on the internet and found out that it's an important site of pilgrimage. They call it the City of Prophets. I pulled out our map and studied it. It's 400 kilometers east of where we are, I replied, seeing the end of Turkey and not wanting to extend my time any longer than I had to. We need to go south. We can take a bus, he insisted. It's believed to be the biblical city of Ur, where the prophet Abraham was born, and where prophets like Jethro, Job, and Elijah also lived. It's even believed that Moses lived in the area, working as a shepherd before returning to Egypt. These were the great prophets, Moni, and each one had their faith in God and in themselves tested. Each had to find the courage to follow their truth. I'd like to walk in their footsteps, to feel the energy that they left behind. It's no coincidence that I received this message just now. My faith in everything that I believed in was certainly shaken. And perhaps I too needed to draw from others their secret knowledge, that invisible elixir that propelled them forwards, even when mired in doubt. So often during this pilgrimage, they had led us to their hallowed sites, and I had felt uplifted without knowing why. I wanted the City of Prophets to do the same. The seven-hour bus ride was grueling, but the reward at the end of that day was worth it. From our hotel room, we had an unobstructed view of Halil al-Rahman, the city's holiest site and destination of all pilgrims. It was a lush oasis of gardens and ponds, accentuated by two beautiful mosques, one venerating the cave where the prophet Abraham was allegedly born, the other the stuff of legend. It was told that the ruling pagan king, Nemrud, ordered Abraham to renounce his god, and when he wouldn't, the king commanded that Abraham be catapulted into a raging fire at the bottom of a tall cliff. In the spot where Abraham landed, the fire was transformed into water and the firewood into fish. A mosque was built on that site. The fish are considered sacred and the waters holy. It is here that pilgrims come to be renewed and where we intended to join them. Roses and flowers bursting with color greeted our arrival their fragrance intoxicating. Short, quaint bridges arched over canals that connected several man-made ponds. Abundant fish swam freely in the waters and clamored to be fed from the multitude of hands feeding them. We bought some bait from the many children selling them and joined in the ritual. The sound of the Morazin's voice suddenly filled the air calling the faithful to prayer. My eyes inexplicably watered, and my body began to tremble. Something felt deeply familiar. I wanted to enter the mosque to kneel in prayer, but not wearing a scarf and long-sleeved shirt at that moment 
couldn't do so. But we did, at sunrise the following morning, this time dressed appropriately. My steps already knew the way and instinctively followed the path leading to the mosque where Abraham fell. Alberto entered through the men's entrance while I sought the women's entrance. During my travels in Egypt, I had become familiar with the purification ritual that was performed before entering a mosque. Cleansing was part of the act of worship, not separate from it, and provided a transition from the outer world to the inner world, preparing a believer to stand before Allah united in body, mind, and soul. I did not perform the entire ritual, but took off my shoes and washed my hands and face before stepping inside. The space was small, measuring no more than 30 square meters, and the walls devoid of decoration, as was typical in all mosques. Wall-to-wall carpet covered the floor. The few women who were there glanced at me with interest. I greeted them with the traditional assalamu alaikum, sitting down. They returned my greeting, warmth now replacing their curiosity. Each woman stood in her own space, facing the mihrab, a niche in the wall indicating the direction of Mecca. One older woman, dressed in a long, dark gown, especially caught my attention, and so I watched her. She cupped her ears, her lips moving in reverent prayer. She placed her hands on her chest, enfolding her heart. She bowed and then kneeled, her silent prayers in synchrony with her graceful movements. I was amazed at her agility and watched this beautiful spiritual dance, this fluid motion of standing, bowing, kneeling, touching the forehead to the ground, and then rising again. Each ritual was unique and as beautiful as the woman performing it. The women finished their prayers and gathered at one of the walls. Speaking in broken English, one of the women explained that they were getting water from the spring that naturally erupted at the spot where Abraham fell. They filled my bottle and saying goodbye left me to perform my personal ritual. I sat cross-legged on the floor and closed my eyes. I immediately felt a rush of energy course through me, vibrating and alive. It danced with me, causing my body to sway, filling me with a longing that I couldn't explain and a certainty that all was well. I lack the courage to follow this path you ask of me, to speak my spiritual truth. I pleaded my deepest fear finding expression. I hear you asking me to speak this truth, to be faithful to it, to live it fully. But I am paralyzed by others' opinions and judgments of me. Your courage will reveal itself at the right time and under the right circumstances, I heard reverberated within me. The truly courageous are not those who lack fear, but those who walk through it. I felt comforted in a loving embrace that I couldn't see, only perceive. The heavy sadness that so weighed my heart slowly lifted. I remained in that state for a long time, 
and eventually opened my eyes and sipped from the waters that faith created, completing my ceremonial renewal. Alberto and I lay in bed, naked, cooling off from the day's heat. Alberto had just finished closing the curtains and had grumbled once again that they didn't close perfectly, leaving a slight slit for anyone to peer through. There's a man there, he yelled, pointing at the window. I saw a pair of dark eyes staring at us, the face hidden by dark hands, and shrieked, reaching for my clothes. Alberto hurriedly threw on his pants and rushed to the curtains, flinging them open, but the person had gone. He furiously strode out to the corridor, but it too was empty. The corridor window right next to our door, however, was open. Alberto examined it. This window leads to a flat rooftop that goes around the hotel, he said incredulously. I think they're the ceilings of the rooms underneath us. I had always considered Alberto's obsession with our privacy to be unwarranted, but now wondered if he had been right all along. Shaken, we called security. Within moments, the apologetic manager and hard-eyed security chief were in our room examining the area. They walked out of the corridor window and soon were at our window, peering in. As Alberto had suspected, there were rooms underneath and their ceilings just happened to wrap around our room. Of the more than 50 rooms in this hotel, we were shocked to discover that ours was the only one where this was even possible. The manager offered to move us, but we thought it pointless considering it was our last evening there. The heavy silence between Alberto and I lingered as we walked to the gardens, and at the hill where Abraham was flung into the fires, we sat and watched the sun set. What happened back in that room was no coincidence, Alberto said, pausing for a long time before continuing. I had so much faith in my path in my pure intentions to create only positive experiences that I didn't think my negative thoughts could also be creating. I thought if God is love, what purpose could manifesting my negative thoughts or beliefs possibly serve? I had made a pact to be an instrument of love, to only create good in the world, so I assumed that attracting in the negative didn't apply to me. Boy, was I mistaken. I see now that I am creating in the negative. Alberto seemed to be thinking out loud more than speaking with me, and so I listened as he reasoned with himself. But if the universe is love, then what is the loving purpose of negative experiences, he went on. If we create everything all the time, then where is God in all of this? Why would we need him? What role does he play? Does God even exist? Is he unconditional love or a vending machine? Make a wish and here it is irrespective of what you wish for. Is the universe that impersonal? He was touching precisely the key to my dilemma in following his path of becoming a wizard. We seemed to be in an existential crisis, struggling with the questions that I'm certain have been asked by humanity since the beginning of time. I don't understand, he continued. I don't see the whole truth, but I need to trust that there is a purpose to all of this and that it will be revealed at the right time. That purpose is based on love, of that I have no doubt. 
I have felt the loving hand of the universe so many times asking me to be patient. It's all I can do now. I heard the battle between control and surrender raging in his heart and felt it in mine. Certainly, full surrender to God's will was not the answer. Otherwise, why would we have free will? But being full creators of our lives, or wizards, without a higher context, seemed spiritually empty to me. We seemed to be getting contradicting messages. In the silence of our walk back to our room, the mind and heart of each sought that clarity.